Christmas, despite all of our aspirations. But it is a time that's meant to be wonderful. Literally, it's meant to be full of wonder, where we are talking about and thinking about the future, not with dread, but with hope and longing. Uh, And that's borne out in some of the songs around Christmas. So we're going to have a little quiz. I'm going to read out the lyrics for some songs, and you're going to have to tell me what songs they're from. First one's this. May your days be merry and bright, and may all your Christmases be white. What song is that from? White Christmas, thank you. It's almost so easy, it's not worth saying, isn't it, Jerry? Sorry. Next one. Hail the new year, lads and lasses. Fa la 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 la. That one. Uh, Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire to face unafraid the plans we've made. Anyone know that one? Walking in a winter wonderland. That's right, we did it earlier. I, I tried to find some meaningful lyrics from Bob the Builder and Mr. Blobby to back up my point, but I couldn't find them. But the songs that we sing, we repeat them every year. A lot of them have this theme of something to do with the future and of us facing it unafraid. All of us looking for something magical that makes us aware of this emotion or this feeling of wonder. But wonder isn't a tame emotion. It's a, it's a compound emotion that actually is made up of lots of different feelings, isn't it? There is hope and joy, but wonder also contains awe or fear. When you have an experience of wonder or something transcendent, let's use that word, it comes with hope and joy, but there's also fear mixed in there as well. If you've ever been down to Seaford Seafront on a stormy day, it's, it's a sight to behold, isn't it? Those waves, the power They don't fill you with joy so much as just terror at the sheer size and power of it. Wonder, the wonder that we're looking for at Christmas, has that emotion in it. Uh, I like watching those nature documentaries that come on. And this past season we've had Blue Planet 2, part of the Planet Earth series. Uh, And sometimes you watch them and David Attenborough just spits out these facts, just very nonchalant about the Earth. And you think... Here's a few of them, um, since we're talking about planets. Uh, the, living, the largest living thing in the world is a fungus that measures two kilometers in diameter. Two kilometers, something that's alive. That's impressive, like the day of the Triffids. 70% of all fresh water on Earth is in Antarctica. 70% of the Earth is ocean, but we've only explored 5% of that's just, pfft. I sit there often with Amy watching these shows and I talk at the telly. That's how I deal with this. Like, I can't handle this. I talk, like, no, this is amazing. Whereas Amy just does this, she shuts down. She's like, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. And like, a few minutes of watching Planet Earth and look over and my wife's just on the floor in the fetal position, just rocking, going, this is just insane. She often says, it freaks me out. And it does freak you out when you hear about the size of the earth. But check this out as we look beyond the earth and gaze into space. Here's some facts about the size of the earth. So put this up. This is just the images of some planets to scale, which are pretty impressive, isn't it? We think the earth's pretty big, don't we? Yes, those, of course we do. We live on it. And I have hardly explored much of the world. Only 5% of the earth have we even bothered to check out what's there. It's that big. But look at this. The earth Look at that in comparison to the sun. You can fit a million, over a million earths inside the sun. What? But we think the sun's pretty big, but that's nothing. Look at this. The sun in comparison, you can't really read that, to another star called Arcturus. You can fit 17,500 suns inside Arcturus. 
a star in some distant galaxy, which is impressive. But Arcturus isn't even the biggest star out there. Next slide. Arcturus is down there, hidden, very small. And they've got this biggest star called Antares or something. I'm not very good at pronouncing. Antares. Look at the size of that. And we live in the Milky Way, which is part of our solar system here. We are here. If ever you get lost, that's where you are. Tell Satanav or the bloke who runs the taxi, busy day, we're here. If I can get back there. This is our um, solar system within our galaxy, the Milky Way. There are over 100 billion galaxies in the universe. I, I have sympathy for my wife who, who rocks in the fetal position as we watch these kind of programs. Some things are just so big, they make you feel very, very small. When you gaze into the night sky, it has that effect. And wonder is one of those emotions, isn't it? You experience as you look at it, good night, I'm just so small. I want to read for us this morning from Luke's Gospel, picking up really from where Tracy left off for us. This is part of Mary's response to the news that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, which is a big day in anyone's life. Let's be honest, particularly a, a teenage girl's who's a virgin. But this is what she says. She sings a song. And it's a song that we've come to call Magnif- the Magnificat for those who speak Latin. And this is what Mary said. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance with his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. That's the song that Mary sings upon hearing that news. Mary's song, the theme of Mary's song, I think acts like a sort of skylight into this realm of wonder and of majesty, a skylight into the transcendent. Because most of life isn't stargazing. And for most of us, being aware of God or experiencing this emotion of wonder, being aware of miracles is actually an uncommon experience day to day. Modern life, in many respects, is lived almost in one of those giant stadiums with a, with the, you know, you get like the Millennium Stadium and big stadiums with roofs that go over the top of them now, blocking the outside world. Modern life, it's as though we live in that sort of environment. There's, we don't often experience the wonder of, of seeing the stars or experiencing miracles, being aware of the presence of God. And so Christmas is like a skylight into that realm. I test drove a car recently with a, a big skylight. Just the, almost the whole roof was just this giant skylight, which is quite hard to drive while looking up at the sky because most of life you're just trying to drive, you're just trying to get on. We haven't got time to stop and worry about wonder. That's why we take two weeks off, the kids take two weeks off at Christmas and we take a day and a half off. To, to try to remind ourselves there is something more than just matter. 
It's more than just the stuff of survival. There's wonder to be experienced. And I think it's for that reason that Christmas is so special. It's in the meal times and the enchantment of the children and the lights and the snow and the trips to the cinema and the cold. It's in those moments that we catch. We, we might not use this language, but we catch glimpses of God. It's him, I think, that we're longing for when we look into those skylights of experiences around Christmas. And I think Christmas does two things for us in our vision, helping us to see that. It, it corrects our vision. It, it corrects how we see God and it corrects how we see ourselves. It corrects how we see God because, let's be honest, the world around us, particularly the Western society that we live in, says God, if he exists, is uncaring, he's uninvolved, he's possibly angry, and he's certainly not very good because life's hard. And life teaches us that it isn't fair. There's nothing fair to life. The rich have power and rule and are often corrupt, and, and hard work doesn't equal success. But what Mary saw in our reading, upon the news of God coming to her, poor peasant teenage girl that she was, and giving her this gift, her response to God is that skylight into truth. And she says this, contrary to what the world might say, what life might teach you, Christmas teaches us that God is actually merciful. He's strong. He scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty. He lifts up the low he fills the hungry and he sends the rich away empty. And that's the Bible storyline throughout, actually. Whenever people encounter God, they bring their preconceptions of what God's like. It's what we do in our arrogance. We think about God and we make up our mind about what he's like, if he or she or they or it exists. But in the Bible, when people come to God, they're so often quickly undone. And all of their preconceptions about God evaporate as they behold the real God. And like that feeling when you've, you've never met someone before, but you build an image up in your mind, and then you meet them, and the old ideas evaporate in a moment. It's like that with people when they meet God. You have that experience, you know, there's people that you probably know of now, someone's talked to you about them, and you've got this idea in your mind of what they're like. Have you ever noticed that once you've met that person, the image that you had prior to meeting them is just gone, it's evaporated. You can't remember, what did I, how did I picture them? Because they're very different from what I imagine. And sometimes that difference can be very surprising and, and make us kind of jolt a bit. Like when you, um, when you first see a, a picture of a radio presenter that you listen to every day. That's a weird disconnect, isn't it? Um, every day you wake up to this voice telling you the news and the story. Oh, we've got little Mary coming in at the back there. <laughs> That's fantastic. No, Mary, it's a shepherd, sorry. Shouldn't accuse Benjamin of being Mary. He won't appreciate that. Wonderful. <laughs> that moment when you, you listen to a radio presenter every day and then you see their picture and it can sometimes cause you to startle because you think, that's not what I imagine them to look like at all. But you have, your, you have no choice. You can't carry on with your old idea of what this radio presenter is like because you've met them. And it's the same with God. When you meet him, all other ideas of God evaporate in an instant. For me, growing up, um, I'd never met Jesus, uh, never really heard about Jesus. In fact, the only images I knew of Jesus were from the stained glass windows of the, the local church that we visited once a year at Christmas, much like many of us do. Um, and I used to see these images of Jesus. This is, this is Jesus to me growing up. Um, he was either a baby born in a barn with some sheep around him, or he was a man carrying a sheep. So I just figured Jesus... He's just like sheep? I don't know. Like he, he's some guy that Christians sing to, and 
I think he's a shepherd because he likes sheep. I guess that's part of it. And for me, Jesus was really only good for two things. Um, Chris Dingle, where I got free sweets from church, and Christmas Eve, where I got entrusted with fire by church, and I was allowed to burn things uh, in the presence of my parents without getting into trouble. When I met the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, through, re- through reading it, through talking to him, through having an experience of Jesus in my life, all those old ideas of Jesus instantly evaporate. And now I look at that and think, I get what they're trying to do, but the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, he's one that evokes feelings of hope and joy and love and awe and wonder. God has come to the world. Not to judge the world, not to condemn the world, not to ridicule the world and point out how stupid we are. He's come to love us, to enter into our mess. Mary says in her song, she says, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And to be honest, I feel a bit like that now that I've met Jesus. I'm the, I'm the first in a long line of people in my family to know Jesus. For many generations, as far as I'm aware, I'm the first in my family for many generations to know Jesus, to call themselves a Christian. And I read Mary's words and I think, goodness me, from now on, generations will call me blessed. My kids will grow up to have kids and, and providing they follow the Lord, they'll say, I'm, my dad was blessed. He met Jesus. He knew Jesus. All those old ideas of Jesus or God, that the world or life might thrust upon us, evaporate when you meet the real Jesus. And so Christmas corrects our vision of God in that way, but it also corrects our vision of ourself. Corrects our vision of ourselves. See, the human race is like a drunk man riding a horse, constantly falling off one side to get up and fall off the other side. We either think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, We either are puffed up with our own arrogance and brilliance, much like Herod, actually, in the the Christmas story. Herod was a king, and some some kings came, some wise men came, and they said, hey, we've heard there's another king. And Herod, in his arrogance, thought, that can't be, because I'm the only true king of the Jews. I'm the one who's in charge. So took matters into his own hands and destroyed a generation of children in the land. The human race is like that. We're either those who have puffed up with our own importance. Me and my hard work, my effort, my brilliance, my intelligence. I live in the age of the internet. We have Google. Who needs God? As good as our inventions are, the heart of man is still just as it's always been. Just as selfish, just as self-serving and self-seeking. So we either fall off that way though, or we fall off the other side. When we look up into the night sky... We fall off the other side and go, I'm nothing. My life counts for squat. In the grand scheme of things, who am I? And there's some truth in that. Like, who are you? (laughs) Just one tiny little carbon-based life form on a planet in the middle of a universe that's, I mean, our sun is big to us, but it's tiny in comparison to the universe. Who are we? Who are you? What's your life about? There's truth to be had in looking up at the stars and realizing (laughs) I'm pathetic. My problems really don't amount to much in the grand scheme. But they're my problems, so they matter to me. But the Christmas story stops us falling off both sides of the horse. Look at what Mary says. She says, he has seen my humble estate. God has seen my humble estate. She acknowledges, I'm just a humble peasant. And God has seen me. 
But she doesn't fall off the horse because, or she doesn't swing back the other way because she says, from now on all generations will call me blessed. She's not self-pitying and she's not arrogant and puffed up with pride because of what God has done to her. The stars remind us that we don't really matter, but the sun reminds us that we really do, in some strange sense, matter to God. Old ideas about self, about God, evaporate when we see him. Ideas of self-grandeur or self-pity evaporate when you see him because you're not the great I am, but you're not a worm. He has treated us with incredible honor. God did not, when he entered the world, he didn't become a rabbit or a pigeon or a cow. He became a man, became part of the human race. To people like us, God says, you matter. I'm going to enter your life form. I'm going to give you dignity and value and worth because of that. So now when we see this baby just in the manger, this tiny, little, pathetic, helpless little baby, Next slide. There he is. Some things are so small, they make you feel big when you understand what it means. The universe is so big it makes me feel small, but when I see the smallness of God in human form, I realize he's done that for me. And it makes me feel big. It gives us significance. You see, that's the wonder of Christmas. That's really what all the cards and the lights and the traditions are trying to create for us. They're trying to remind us and trying to help us grasp that truth. That though we don't matter, we really do. And that's what you need to hear this Christmas. That's what you need to know more than anything else. Christmas says you count to God. You matter. Christmas says you're loved by the creator of that universe. That's what Jesus has done for us. Whether you believe in him or not, God says, I love you. Whether you're willing to, whether you call yourself a follower of his or not, he says, I'm for you. I'm here to forgive you, to help you, to teach you, to train you. Let's be honest, in the grand scheme of things, your life doesn't account or amount to much, but I love you and I've treated you with dignity and honor. And that's why we celebrate at Christmas. That's why we're going to respond together in singing and giving thanks to God for who he is and all he's done. I'm going to pray for us, and perhaps the band can join me, and we'll carry on celebrating Jesus. Father, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful message. That the, the wonder that we long for, the transcendence that we seek after, is accessible to us. We, we don't have to wait for Christmas to experience the wonder of being loved. And I thank you every day is Christmas. Every day we can remember that we're loved. Father, I'd ask that you'd help us to hold on to the truth that Mary saw in her song. That you have looked upon our humble estate. And from now on, all generations will call us blessed. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet?